Hello, welcome to episode three of our podcast, Innovating the Industrial World. I'm your host, John King, and I'm here with uh, my good friends, Jim Houston and Jeremy Larson. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Jeremy Larson, the service director of uh, the PMG Group, and uh, been working with the company in calibration for just around 20 years. My name is Jim Houston. I'm the uh, director of quality and training for uh, Cross. Uh, I've been with the company uh, about 16 years now. So today we're going to really, really geek out on metrology. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is the world I kind of grew up in. Um, so who would have guessed, is that, you know, the name of our podcast is Innovating the Industrial World. Who would have guessed that just as recently as 2019, there was innovation in the metrology world in a hunk of metal? Um, so let's talk a little bit about what happened in 2019. So actually, it's pretty interesting. Uh, the uh, kilogram actually has been around since about 1879. Um, they actually casted it. Um, and created a hunk of metal that was a little bit bigger than a uh, golf ball. Uh, so when you say the kilogram, you mean the kilogram? Yeah, absolutely. The one that's uh, actually uh, in uh, France, or just outside uh, Paris, at the uh, International Bureau of Standards. And uh, what's interesting about that one was everything is you know compared back to it. So. They call it the, the Le Grand, I'll work on my French accent, Le Grand K. <laughs> The kilogram that's under lots and lots of glass and then a, uh, what's it made out of? It's made out of uh, 90% platinum and 10% um, iridium, iridium, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Incred intended to be an incredibly stable material um, to not change, right? So it is yeah. the kilogram in the entire world. Absolutely. So uh, what happened in 2019? So in 2019, we uh, changed uh, that standard from the uh, known kilogram into a natural uh, constants um, so that we can actually create that, recreate uh, what a kilogram is in all areas of the world. So prior to that, we actually had to go and compare back to um, our national standards back to the uh, grand kilogram. And so now um, it's taking uh, Planck's constants the speed of light and the cesium um, atom and actually utilizing those natural uh, phenomena and allowing us to be able to uh, create the kilogram here in the United States. So this idea of natural phenomenon or natural constants being used for uh, standards is something kind of interesting, Jim. So yeah, we there's a there's a pretty good example of that that everybody can really relate to. Yeah, with the uh, ice water there, uh, you know, one of the properties of water is that uh, in a state of transition, the, the, the temperature will remain constant. So uh, in this particular ca uh, case here, we've got a glass that's got ice and it's got water in it. So as that ice is melting into water, it's transitioning. So it is at the freezing point and will remain at the freezing point, whether it's in the liquid or ice uh, state, as long as there is ice and water in that solution. Which is kind of cool. I mean, that's kind of interesting to think about. So like literally everybody in your kitchen, you can get ice and water and mix them together. And in a state, we call it a state of equilibrium. If you're constantly mixing it up uh, and keeping that ice and that water going together, it's going to be exactly zero degrees Celsius, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Yes. I mean, exactly. So um, that's a really, really kind of a neat thing. That means we can repeat that anywhere in the world. Uh, now, I will say this as something kind of interesting, it's important to know. Uh, for those of you who know a lot about metrology, is that that's at atmospheric pressure. So we have to be really careful to think about 
uh, what does the pressure here might be a little different than the pressure there. Um, but it's important to know that, I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing to think in our kitchen, we can have a primary standard that is no better or no worse, uh, than anything else in the, in the entire world. Based on a naturally occurring property. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys can see this or not. Um, but we have a glass of ice water on the table, uh, and we've kept it kind of mixed up with a temperature probe in here. Um, so what's that? It's uh, just uh, right at 32 degrees. That's awesome. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Okay, so back in 2019, I mean, as recently as 2019, so there was the kilogram. Uh, when did you say it was created? 1879. So from 1879 until just 2019, there was a single kilogram. So one of the things that we do all the time, right, is we're calibrating uh, weights and making and calibrating scales and making sure that people are measuring those accurately. So why is it important to have an accurate standard? In the case of uh, mass, um, commerce actually ties in. Uh, you know, when it, the, the good old days when you would uh, show up with a you know a bushel of tomatoes and trade it for you know a flat of eggs, it didn't matter. Uh, but once you start uh, bringing money into the equation, uh, things like gold, uh, then it's important because uh, then you need to measure it, and we need to agree what that measure is. And if we can't agree on that measure, we can't do business to begin with. Yeah, and this dates back to, I'm talking, uh, we found evidence back to 3000 BC where it was, uh, there were governments and, and nationalities that started creating standards um, to be able to measure what those things are and to be able to have something that they could really agree on. Because like you mentioned that uh, in terms of commerce and that kind of thing, I mean, just think about that for a second. The, the United States, a lot of people remember, was on the gold standard at one time in 1933. So as recently as 1933, Every dollar in existence was tied back to a certain amount of gold, right? And so that would say, okay, it's important for us to know how much that is because it governed, it literally mass governed uh, how much gold there was. Yep. It's even uh, one of the uh, phrases that shows uh, up in the uh, Bible and in church on occasional Sundays, fixing scales. Yeah. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, calibration is doing the Lord's work, right? <laughs> <laughs> We like to think so sometimes, that's for sure. So one thing that we might that people joke a lot about is the sort of six degrees of separation, right? That nobody's uh, separated by more than six degrees or whatever. So um, when you think about how we calibrate a scale um, and how we make sure something's right, um, one of the things we have is our, our one of our working standards, an example of a kilogram. Jim, you might want to show everybody. That's um, it right there. That's made of stainless steel, Right. And it weighs exactly a kilogram, um, kind of interesting to think about uh, to what accuracy that particular standard is. Um, but you see the one that's next to it, the shiny one? <laughs> yeah. Jim's pointing to that, for those of you who are just listening and not uh, looking at it. Jim's pointing at it because you can't touch it. Why can't you touch it? That is uh, one of our class one weights. Um, the tolerances on those are such that if I were to pick that up with my bare hands, take it back into our lab to have it calibrated. Uh, the before and after I touched it, we would be able to measure basically the oil that transferred from my hand to that standard weight. Which happens with artifacts. So um, so we can use that uh, shiny one, right? The class one, the class S weight, uh, to check the stainless steel one, which is what we check some of our working scales with. We don't check the really, really high end balances of our yeah, customers, right? right? 
Okay, so let's think about okay, how many, we talk about the six degrees of well, uh, six degrees of separation or the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> we'll play that game. Let's see how many degrees of separation are is that stainless steel weight from the Le Grand K in France? Well, uh, off the top of my head, uh, we send our standards off to a vendor. Uh, okay. They in their lab have working standards that they would calibrate ours against. Okay, so uh, ours go to. Our vendor. Yes. Uh, so that's one degree to their working standard. Yes. Then what's next? So their working standards, they would compare against their gold standard for their lab. Okay, so they have a working to a primary. That's another yeah. layer. Yep. Okay. Uh, their primary, then we get sent off to uh, a national um, standard. In and this case, the United States, that would be NIST. That would be NIST in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Yep. So NIST would calibrate it against their working standard. Oh, that's another layer. So that's yep. four so far. So they have a working standard there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now NIST, of course, compares all of their working standards against their primary standard. Their okay. Their so there is one Mac Daddy kilogram. Yes. In in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Yes. Their primary historically. Standard. Now this is the change that has happened. Historically, that primary standard would have been sent off to France, I believe, every forty years, uh, for comparison against the working standards in Paris. We're at six now, so we've already reached our six degrees of separation. But now we're at the working standards in Paris. Yes. And then those working standards would get compared to uh, the uh, Mac Daddy kilogram. Le Grand K. And that's we're talking about our primary standards. So we actually have a couple of layers within us, right? So we have our ultra class, we call them. Yes. Um, And then we go to our, the shiny one, the class one. And then we go to our class F, the working weights. Yes that we would take out to see a customer. So you're talking about eight or nine degrees of separation between us. And which is kind of cool to think about. Like if I go out into the, I'm working in a, uh, in a factory, or whatever, I got a scale and uh, anybody's coming to calibrate that. I know that there's only nine different comparisons to get to the ultimate kilogram in the world. Yes. Yep. That's kind of cool to think about. Yeah. And not something a lot of people know or uh, I guess, uh, appreciate or think about because it just works. But what happens when they compare those? Um, well, uh, when they compare them, um, the... I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, <laughs> <laughs> when they're compa- every, every time one of those layers, one of, one of those well, degrees of separation occurs, there is errors introduced. Okay. I mean, there are... You can only measure it so well, right? Yeah. Okay. So I understand what you're saying there. So every link in the chain, every time that a, uh, a standard is compared to a standard... Uh, that process has inherent errors in it. Uh, there are tolerances in the standard that you're comparing to. There's uncertainties uh, associated with those measurements. Uh, so every time you add a link in the chain uh, compared to Lagrange K, uh, that error gets larger and larger and larger. Now, it may not be significant compared to what you and I are trying to do with the, K, the kilogram on our end of, yeah. of the business, uh, but it's there. And then some folks are doing some things that are pretty significant, right? So how how accurately or how with what resolution are our customers measuring things? I mean, I know there's lab balances that are doing what? Uh, there's lab balances that'll go out, you know, uh, two and three places on a on a milligram. So um, you know, a milligram, uh, kind of a quick, easy way to to put that in your mind. Uh, a small paperclip is about the weight of a gram. Yeah. Uh, and a milligram, if you were to cut uh, that small. If you were to cut that small paper clip into a million pieces, that's the level at which we can make measurements here in our lab. Yeah. So, 
So we, and we are by no means a national standard. So. Yeah, so we're hearing people. Yeah, we know uh, a lot of company, a lot of especially in the pharmaceutical world. There's also and certainly other industries. But uh, when you're doing research and development and that kind of thing, people are measuring all the time to uh, a millionth of a gram, which would be in a gram is a thousandth of a kilogram. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about of that Lagrand K. We have people that are doing work that need to be able to measure accurately in all kinds of different environments down to a thousandth of a millionth, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty tight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so now you see, you can start to see what happens in those nine degrees of separation, right? So when we have an artifact, um, we're having to introduce those errors. That, we're not having to, but every time we compare an artifact, and how do we do that? We do that on literally, and we used mass to do that on a mass comparator, which uses magnetism now, but uh, there were, in the past it used to just use levers, actually, right? Yes. It used to be an equal arm balance. Um, one thing that we actually have one that's kind of interesting. We have the equal arm balance that the state of North Carolina used to use for their primary standards for 25 kgs and 50 pound weights. Um, that's how scale companies would uh, take their weights to the state and put them on that equal arm balance with yeah. that working standard. But you, uh, you talk about the you know the um, the error that's associated with those measurements. It's, it's one of the things we do as part of our business is we always look for vendors that. Um, that have smaller reported error mm-hmm. uh, because we want the best measurements in our process. Yeah. Another error um, is, you know, we go back to the kilogram, but we don't just use the kilogram to calibrate scales, right? So we have to drop down to different sizes of weights outside of that kilogram. And as we go and break from that kilogram down to the other ones, we introduce error all the way down. So we may have a milligram weight, but the problem is we had an uncertainty that was added at each one of those calibration steps to get down to that level yeah. also. So that also introduced a lot of error for the pharmaceutical world this, in today's uh, time. So. so what's kind of cool is that now in the primary, now that we've changed to this natural phenomena for mass, um, the primary standard in Gaithersburg, Maryland, what kind of, t- so when you think about that sort of equal, there's, there's a, an analogy to that equal arm balance, right? So instead of their primary and working standard that goes back to France, what's on the other side of that? Um, again, um, there's actually uh, the kilograms on one side and on the other side, there's actually a magnetic uh, ring that they put different uh, voltages in and amps, and it actually creates a magnetic field. So it's creating the opposing force of what the kilogram should be. Um, over the time that they were actually uh, going through and figuring out whether this would actually work, they actually had all that data from everybody calibrating, you know, every 40 years, and they were able to find out roughly what that true value of a kilogram was. And it's based on a natural phenomenon. So yeah. now it's like the ice water, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the primary standard is any, repeatable anywhere in the world, and you don't have to send it back to France. So now we're going from nine degrees to how many degrees of separation? Well, uh, theoretically, that cuts out France. That cuts out their working standard. Um that brings us back to a national standard. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about going from nine to like three or four. Yes. Yeah. And where that could have been just the kg in the in the past, now they have the ability uh, to determine other masses as well. Yep. And in the con- we you, something you'll hear us say all the time: nothing's impossible. Just some things are more expensive than others, right? So you can. <laughs> that means now people can duplicate that. So you'll say you're a pharmaceutical company or whatever. You could have a primary standard. In your lab, if you wanted to. Yeah. Furthermore, you could replicate that on the moon. You could replicate that on Mars. You could replicate that anywhere in the universe. That's awesome. Um, are there other artifacts? So one of the things that we have here is a, uh, a gauge block 
um, this is obviously an artifact uh, for a foot. So this is 12 inches, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's the same. Did we do something wrong this line in terms uh, of changing that to a natural phenomenon? We do. Uh, the uh, artifact for a meter used to be in France as well. Uh, that has uh, long since been replaced by the, uh, the wavelength of cesium, I believe it is, uh, in a vacuum. Um, so now instead of, you know, again, instead of there being an artifact somewhere in France that we all tie back to, uh, now there's something that can be recreated anywhere because it's a natural phenomenon. Yep, I think it's the speed of, uh, speed of light or speed of cesium you mentioned before. It travels in a second in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. That's easily met, not easily, but it's measured. <laughs> uh, yeah, easy is a relative term. <laughs> but it's. You, it goes back to anything's possible. Just <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it's possible to be repeatedly uh, measured with lasers and that kind of thing. So it, what's interesting is that, I think it's interesting, that our. The, the technologies that we're using in the metrology world are getting more and more and more and more accurate. And so we're having to get, you know, go away. These artifacts, now we're able to see how that's been changed because this uh, platinum iridium was changing over time, right? So how does that happen? How does that, how does it change over time? I mean, you know, we've talked about it, it literally can absorb air molecules. Things, uh, things actually decay. Yeah. I mean, the, any type of, the environment you're in is going to change something. I mean, we said day in and day out. And it, I think another thing is as we've gotten better and better um, in the metrology world of measuring things, We've figured out the more the amount of drift that things actually occurred. So as we were able to read further and further out past the decimal, we can see you know more and more drift. I mean, I remember you know explaining on the length side, you know, a millionth of an inch. I mean, and you take a hair and divide it into divide it by three, and then divide that by a thousand. You know, that's what you're working with. And so just the air molecules and the uh, the different types of things in the air can affect that reading so that's why those cleaners are so important yeah what i used to talk to people about all the time is that when you the only way to measure that thing is you got to touch it and if you're going to touch it um it's going to be affected by that by whatever touching it we actually touch it i think it's with like ruby tipped probes and that kind of thing yeah i was i've always been told once you get out past you know a millionth of an inch a lot of what we think of as metal being solid is very liquid and molecules moving around and so moving to you know, the actual uh, laser or the speed of light in the actual chamber allows you not to have any of those right. aspects involved. So it brings you back to something that's consistent and solid. Yeah. So you can, you we, we can take that 12 inch gauge block and we can t use that to certainly calibrate or know if a tape measure is right or even if a micrometer caliper is right. But, but if you start going into uh, getting even more accurate than that, which our people need to all the time, if you're building jet engines and that kind of jazz, you need to know exactly what that what the spec is um and so when you're doing that you know typically you're going to want to use a laser so one of the things that matters tremendously with materials like that is temperature right yeah. um so we have to do that in a in a 68 degree lab exactly 68 degrees so that we can have that repeatable temperature yes because yes. we're still comparing those to artifacts right yes. yes in terms of our what most folks are working to um but then when we that Next degree of separation will typically go to that, that constant. And so we kind of get back to our ice water, right? So we're trying to get to the point where almost everything that we're measuring, temperature, pressure, um, mass, torque, everything, it relates back to something that we can repeat almost anywhere. 
Uh, the other thing, too, is a, a lot of the measurements in the direction they're headed. You know, you talk about lasers and, and measuring electrical, whether it's current or voltage. Uh, we have the ability to measure that stuff uh, in greater number of divisions uh, than, than some of the uh, methods that we've done it in the past. So uh, if you're using a tape measure versus a laser, there's obviously a very different level of precision there. There is. And that it's actually an interesting term about precision. So we talk, you know, there's something about accuracy and resolution. So we can measure, uh, you know, you guys will, could teach a class on that. I mean, you know, we, we talked about that lab balance that measures things to a millionth of a gram, which is a thousandth of a millionth of a kilogram. Um, that's the resolution, but the accuracy might be a little different, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So sometimes you can measure out to the decimal places, but if it's not repeatable, if it's not in an environment that's repeatable, the temperature, uh, pressure, and all those kind of things, um, then it's not going to be as accurate, but it may have the great resolution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of customers that'll throw uh, balances into areas where they shouldn't be using them, for lack of better. Um, and the last couple digits of that balance will dance around. So they've got the repeatability, the resolution there, um, but they don't have the repeatability, so they don't have the accuracy that they think they do uh, in those situations. Yeah, a lot of your digital mics and things like that are the same way. They'll read out to 50 millionths of an inch or 100 millionths. The actuary accuracy is actually about one or two divisions better than that. So a lot of people ask, well, it reads this far, but how do we take care of this? And, and you explain to them that just because it reads that well doesn't mean it's consistently performing at that level. So, and, you know, another thing on the gauge blocks, a lot of our larger uh, our national labs are actually using laser interferometry now to verify those. So it takes out a lot of the probing and things like that. So... There's a lot of things that, you know, continue going back to these, you know, mirror-recognized uh, standards. Yeah. So kind of back to what changed in 2019, where now literally all, they call it SI, but all of the standard, um, all the standards are now based on natural phenomena, right? Yeah. No, there's no more artifacts. I mean, we use artifacts, but that in terms of the primary standard is back to a natu natural phenomenon now. Yes. The unit as it's defined. Yep. That's awesome. So in terms of the degrees of separation, you can go back to... Gaithersburg, Maryland, and the NIST, was, uh, NIST is the, remind me of that again? The National Institute of Standards and Technology. Yeah. You go to NIST.gov and you can do, look at all kinds of stuff in terms of the history and the, and where that comes from and that kind of jazz. But that's also where you can get primary standards and you can get, also they have something called reference materials and things like that, right? So tell me a little bit about that. Why would you have a reference material? Uh, reference materials are more uh, used in places where you're not making a measurement, but the properties are yeah. important to you. Uh, so let's say um, cement. Cement's classified, right? By um, so, how do we agree as to you know the, the material that I'm producing is of the grade that, that we've all defined and agreed to? Well, there's there may not be a measurement that, that we can use, but there's a reference material so that right. we can see how uh, the reference material versus my material and uh, measure some properties based on that. Yeah, and you can get things like gas detection systems or you can buy a standard gas that is a specific defined standard so you can use that to calibrate your measurements. Yeah, too. we also use, um, and use for quite a while is the uh, actual hardness testers, the material blocks to verify the different types of hardness that are out there that we need to verify on more machining different types of equipment, so your um, B scales and C scales, yeah. like that. And you can order those materials from NIST. That's kind of cool. Pretty awesome stuff. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think that uh, platinum and iridium that's not supposed to change 
Changed a lot in 2019, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, that concludes episode three of Innovating the Industrial World. We're kind of geeking out on metrology. And thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, If you'd like some more information, go over to www.crosscode.com. If you like what you've heard, then click the like button or the subscribe button so that you know when we're going to do our next episode. And if you have any comments or questions, certainly put them in the comment section below and we'll respond to those as quick as we can. Thanks so much and appreciate appreciate y'all's help and time and uh, we'll talk to y'all next time.